Welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mob Podcast. This week, I am once again joined by sommelier Daniel Souter, who is the co-owner of Pleasantry in Cincinnati, Ohio, and recently opened up his own wine shop, Iris Reed. Dan was on the podcast uh, last year, and we talked a little bit about the wine shop and Iris Reed. He was still working towards getting it open and everything. There was, I think, quite a bit of delays uh, with the permitting process, but a lot of people with any kind of new business, new restaurant, um, wine shop, whatever, are kind of experiencing that um, going through the permitting process, at least it seems like in Ohio, Columbus, and Cincinnati especially. We talked a little bit about the wine shop, but not too much. Uh, so I wanted to have Dan back on now that they've been open for a couple months and see how things were going and check in and and see everything he's got, you know, kind of in the works too as well. So uh, Thursdays, they usually do a, a grilled cheese night. Um, they've done a couple dinners. Uh, they've done a couple wine events too as well. So uh, it's a really cool, you know, I haven't been there yet, but it seems like from all the photos that I've seen, uh, a really cool wine shop uh, in the up and coming kind of Walnut Hills, which is the next area you know, OTR, uh, the banks down by the river, those have kind of been revitalized, um, you know, and a lot of the stuff redone and everything. And, and Walnut Hills is kind of like the next neighborhood to undergo that. Similar to here in Columbus, probably I'd say like, uh, you know, Franklinton or Old Town East, where they're going through that process right now. Jordan Anthony Brown will be opening his restaurant, The Aperture, in that neighborhood too as well. I think sometime this fall is probably when they should come online. But you can follow Dan on Instagram at Souter DB. You can also follow the wine shop at Iris Reed underscore wine and also the restaurant too as well at Pleasantry OTR. If you haven't been to Pleasantry, make sure to get in there. Awesome experience. And now, you know, Dan kind of talks about on the podcast a little bit too, but uh, they're able to have kind of more selections of wine too at that restaurant because they have the wine shop nearby that allows them a little bit more buying power, a little bit more storage capacity too as well. But uh, follow us on Instagram at Spoon Mob. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. You can find us there either at Spoon Mob One uh, on Twitter and Facebook, and then at Spoon Mob on TikTok. But mainly we use the Instagram account, so you want to follow us there. Subscribe, follow the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. We're on all the podcast platforms that you can think of. The major ones are obviously Amazon, Spotify, Apple, and Google. But any of the smaller players and stuff like that, you can find us on there too. If for some reason there's a preferred player that you use and you can't find us, write in, let us know. You can either hit us up through the contact portal on the webpage, spoonmob.com, or email us directly, spoonmob at yahoo.com. Um, and we can take a look and make sure that we're on that platform. That's uh, kind of the updates and everything. So here's another mini update episode, uh, this time with sommelier Daniel Souter of Iris Reed Wine Shop in Cincinnati, Ohio. Since you were kind of last on this podcast, mostly talked about Pleasantry, your restaurant there in Cincinnati, but we talked a little bit about Iris Reed, which was the wine shop that you were still in the process of getting ready to open that has since opened. How has the first few months of business been? It's been great. I've learned a lot. The community's really kind of embraced it. And I've learned, you know, in just the, I don't know, maybe two and a half months that we've been fully open, just already made some adjustments. Anytime, at least in my experience, you open something, you have a best guess of what demand will be, but really guests kind of tell you what they want, when they want it, how they want it. Sure, I control that in some ways, do what they want to an extent. But overall, it's been great. Do you have that kind of built into like your first couple months of like, I don't want to say like an operating plan, knowing like, hey, we're going to go out with this, but it's very possible that people might want to do something like this. And you kind of already have an idea to have that stuff ready in case it does kind of pivot. Yeah, I think 
a big part of being an entrepreneur even is just to not be so rigid in things. You know, you have your beliefs, you have your your principles and your your set kind of ways of, of how you expect things to work, but also to know that there needs to be some flexibility in there to kind of adapt to what customers want or say they'll need. Were there any major challenges with the construction process or was it all pretty straightforward? Yes. It wasn't necessarily hard construction materials type things. Technically, I believe my lease was supposed to start a year ago, last July, July 21. There was a whole issue with zoning in uh, the neighborhood I'm in, Wanted Hills, uh, that did not allow for retail alcohol sales. So I had to go and get a use variance from the zoning commission, which required scheduling a meeting with them, which took three months just to schedule the meeting which seems efficient to me and get, went about, you know, getting letters of recommendation from Walnut Hills area council, the community, the business council, um, things like that. So I had to go through that, then started submitting for permits. I didn't have really a lot of hard construction at all. It was white boxed already. So a bar, some shelves, a couple sinks, the bathroom was there. And so then, you know, the permit process took a little longer than expected. I kind of found out quickly that the architect I got connected with who just had to do drawings. He didn't have to design anything. It was already laid out. I don't know, maybe a little bit of a grifter added some time to the whole process. Uh, So yeah, it was 10 months after I was probably supposed to open, but my landlord was really cool about it. Uh, I didn't have to start paying rent until I opened because the initial issue of the area not being zoned, though I don't blame him for not knowing that at the end of the day, it kind of is on him to know what his space is, is zoned for. But also I was fine with it. I'm happy it opened when it did. Any uh, difficult neighbors like the previous process? You know, anybody not want you guys there? Uh, no, everyone has been great. Like I said, I got letters of support to be there to take, you know, have some ammo to take in front of zoning from the area council and the business council. So that's great. My kind of immediate neighbors within my building have been great and helpful and just asking, hey, who do you use to clean your windows? Things like that. So it's been good. Now I've heard the Walnut areas is kind of like the next it part of Cincinnati. Like it's the next neighborhood to go through a revitalization and everything similar to the OTR area. You know, it's kind of the next one. Do you see it that way too? I sure hope so. Walnut Hills, I definitely chose the area was, yeah, I saw some big potential in the area, in the neighborhood. It's still very centrally located. It's right off 71. So it's right off a major highway. Um, It's literally a mile, probably up a hill from over the Rhine. So it's still near, but it's closer to more densely populated residential. Clifton, the university, uh, where University of Cincinnati is, is kind of the next neighborhood west. And then to the east, there's some heavily populated residential to the north still a little sketchy for sure but it has the it's still urban it still has that feel and has a grit to it which i like specifically right around where we are but there are some developers that have some good plans i've worked in over the rhine for i guess damn near 10 years now the neighborhoods are are different for sure i get a little bit of the feelings with walnut hills right now as kind of how we uh, a lot of people felt about over the Rhine 10 years ago. Um, you know, it's not as dense. There's not the same 
you know, historic nature of it, the beautiful architecture that's in over the Rhine. Um, there's not that, there's not a long, long time history that kind of got abandoned, but then revitalized in a way, but it definitely has some aspects of that in my mind. Now you're kind of following along the restaurateur path. First place you open is a restaurant, then you open, you know, bar, wine shop is usually kind of the second that they do. So, uh, you know, that kind of means you might have to bring back that chicken concept, uh, you know, get the fast casual thing going again. Would you ever consider bringing that back? I don't want to say never. I think I mentioned this the last time I was on. I still believe in the concept. I think the proof of concept is out there. Everybody's either throwing a fried chicken sandwich on their menu, be it fast food or, you know, existing restaurants starting another concept. Um, You know, for a few reasons I mentioned, we just didn't execute it correctly. Or well, I don't know. The idea of opening another restaurant right now is not enticing to me at all, at all. At least in the near term, I don't imagine that. With having the wine shop now, does that allow you to offer more wines or wines that you wouldn't normally be able to offer at Pleasantry because you have now kind of this extra space that is relatively close? Like you can have more inventory and and stuff that maybe you couldn't before? Yeah, so I can definitely have more inventory just by nature of, you know, I have a lot of shelf space that I want to fill so I can keep that. And then, you know, my list at Pleasantry is relatively small, I guess, in the grand scheme of wine lists. But I would also argue that restaurants of our size and of the style of program, the deep kind of multi-hundred skew wine list is not really suited to us or the style or, or anything. So in that sense, yeah, I am able to buy more wines, more quantities of wine, for sure, just by, uh, you know, retail, you can sell a couple cases out the door a day. And in a, you know, a restaurant setting of a restaurant our size, that's, that's like the best possible night we could do. It's nice to be able to offer more. And in particular, you know, I kind of have a, an evolving theory, and I've always tried to do it. It's sometimes at differing times not been possible, but I've always tried to, at Pleasantry, not have multiple wines from the same producer on the list. Um, again, it's it's smaller. It's a smaller list. There's plenty of wines out there. Uh, I don't feel like I have to. Of course, there's many wines from the same producer that I enjoy, but I, I just think there's other ways to kind of do that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, in the shop, you know, I can showcase multiple wines from one producer. I don't think we talked about this last time, but like Columbus here is still very much, you know, talk to local sommeliers, a Napa cab town. What is Cincinnati? Is it the same or is it something different? Cause the, there's like the German aspect. So is it like a Riesling heavy town or <laughs> no, uh, Riesling still just German wine in general is still just a very, very hard sell. It's not impossible. More people are coming around to the idea that Riesling doesn't have to be sweet and uh, everything that comes with that and how food friendly they are. I'd say overall, since I still a a more traditional wine drinking scene, there's more things going on for sure and new new things. But I think it's still a traditional scene. And for whatever reason, I feel like we have a decent amount of quote unquote, good or upscale Italian restaurants. So maybe it skews just a little Italian heavy as far, you know, Chianti, Piedmont wines, things like that, Tuscan wines. Uh, But overall, yeah, it's still, it definitely skews still more, more traditional, but I think it's slowly starting to evolve. A number of people that we've spoken with since you were last on kind of hinted at concerns over 
rising temps, you know, especially in Europe, changing grapes, changing flavor profiles, stuff like that. You're pretty much into natural wine. How much concern do you have about that aspect? Or have you been hearing anything that's of any concern or? Uh, well, sure. I mean, you definitely hear it and see it just in yields and, you know, differing grapes and everything that producers would not, had not historically worked with. I think in America, you know, we think about it in the grand scheme of winemaking. We're so young, so, so young, you know, in Europe, people have been making wine there for generations. And here it's really, you know, you're thinking the seventies almost. So in the grand scheme of that, I think there's, we're still exploring what, what our true wine regions can be a little biased. I have a buddy who makes wine, has a winery in Michigan, you know, something that we think is a very cold, cool region, which sure it is. Um, winters are brutal, um, but it obviously gets warm in the summer as well. You know, it's unexplored largely, you know, the majority of there's a lot of wineries in Michigan, but they're all making very conventional, sweet, sweet wines. But when you start planting grapes that are meant to thrive in cool climates, um, and even start working with some hybrids, you know, grapes that are bred to uh, be cool weather resistant. I think areas like that, I don't see any reason why, let's fast forward 30, 40 years, why we don't think of wine country in America as Michigan, New York, the areas like that. I mean, Canada, even, you know, it's obviously not America, but there's very high quality wineries in Canada. I think it will just evolve like anything, though, I think is kind of the the way I look at it, um, particularly here, you know, domestically, we're, we're so nascent in the grand scheme of things in our winemaking. I think it will, it will just evolve. Grilled cheese for the people. Where did that idea come from? I obviously have a deep love and passion for food. So being able to offer food at the shop without a hood, without that, you know, think of something that I can do, I can execute easily and it's delicious. You know, I don't know many people other than people who don't can't eat cheese or whatever gluten uh, sensitivities, but I mean, grilled cheese are pretty universally liked. I think they're pretty food, uh, wine friendly as well. I can execute it pretty easily, allow to have some creativity with it. There was this place, and I don't know if this is exactly where the idea came from. Uh, there was a place in Healdsburg, downtown Healdsburg called Bergamot Alley that uh, a friend of mine, Sarah Morgenstern, who lives out in California. Um, she ran, it was a wine bar. The first time I went out to California for harvest, this would have been in 2017. I met her then and she ran that wine bar and they kind of, their specialization was in champagne. And then they always had a, a varying menu of grilled cheeses. Unfortunately, the place didn't, I don't know how long it was there, but it, it closed maybe in 18 or 19. But yeah, that was maybe a little bit inspired by that. You also did uh, wine drinking food, which was Evan Hartman, the former executive chef at Pleasantry, kind of returned. You guys cooked up some food. Any plans to do more dinners either with Evan or possibly with other chefs around the city, little pop-ups and stuff? Yeah, I've had conversations with chef friends uh, over the past few months about getting together, getting some idea of what to do, uh, various different chefs with various different kind of backgrounds, cooking styles. So yeah, you know, like I said earlier, the key is to something, you know, that doesn't need expansive cooking equipment. It's a small area to kind of execute it. So it is basically just things that are very prep heavy and then things, or you can make it, I guess, as heavy as you want. And then 
things that are just kind of one or two step execution. The cooking equipment is very light, but yeah, definite plans for that. The wine click, the wine club that you have, what makes it different than everybody else's wine club? I guess at the end of the day, nothing, nothing really. Everybody likes to try and say, hey, our club's different. And I even say that at the end of the day, it's a subscription service and you get some bottles of wine every month. So yeah, I mean, I put a lot of time into it as far as uh, choosing the wines. We've had June and July were the first two months that we did it. July in particular, uh, the two wines. So there's two tiers to it, a two wines or three wines. The three wine tier is the two wines with just an additional a little bit higher price point bottle added to it. So for July's, uh, the two core wines were brought in by a distributor just for the click, which is cool. You know, it kind of gives you a little bit of a, a scarcity if you want to join to get these because they weren't in, they aren't in the market afterwards, which is nice. You know, allows people to kind of experience wines that they wouldn't have experienced before. You know, you get if you're a member of the click, you can come in anytime, get a free like little glass pour that we do anytime during the week. You get access if I get six bottle allocation of something, which happens, unfortunately, but that's just the nature of the game. You know, I'll give access to members of the click first. I mean, obviously put some written materials and recommendations and pairings and stuff in with it. But I guess as far as wine clubs go, it's the only true natural wine one going right now. Yeah. And then I think also included is like priority for any events that you wind up doing. And then like, I think 10% off cases, right? If somebody wants to order a case of wine. Yeah, exactly. So if there's, you know, if I ever do a ticketed event, which we will ticketed tastings and stuff, I'll, I'll send early access to click members for sure. And then you also deliver inside of the 270 loop? 275. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll deliver within that, uh, I think what do I have, $10 fee, something like that. Grand plans more things, more programs, more, I don't know, aspects of the business. Currently, as we talk today, I am the only employee, the only person at the shop. I have someone sometime in August. So that will free me up a lot to kind of work more on the business versus in the business. You know, I want to get all the wines online. I want to start offering, you know, themed wine packs. I want to, you know, work on doing some kind of sort of media channel type thing associated with it. What that all is, I don't know. That's just a lot of ideas at this point. Work on more regular food offerings, but then also work on bringing in more more chefs, more friends, and then working on events as well. So a lot of aspects of it that I want to implement to kind of further our reach and grow and add more kind of fun things around it. But my bandwidth only allows for so much right now. So with the online shop, like you mentioned, you want to kind of get that really flushed out. I think right now it's in-store pickup, I think, or it would be that. Any plans to do shipping? Yeah, yeah, I can ship. So I just shipped a couple cases to a buddy uh, in DC. He actually lives in Bethesda. In Ohio, we can't ship to Maryland. So I had to ship to a friend of his in DC and he picked up from there. In Ohio, our shipping laws aren't great. I think there's 18 states, something like that we can ship to. I can ship interstate. I can ship. I had somebody in Cleveland reach out about, you know, curating some some wines and shipping it up to them. So so yeah, I'll definitely do that as well. And will the wine club eventually ship too as well? Because I think right now it's just pickup, right? But you'll hold it for like a month if they can't pick it up or something. If I can ship it, it's not the most economically smart thing for the the consumer. Say, you know, the two bottle level of the click is forty eight dollars. To ship two bottles, I got a quote to ship two bottles to Cleveland and it was 28 bucks. I'm happy to do it. But what I would recommend is 
you know, I'll choose six bottles or a case and ship that to you, you know, because then it's, it's about 40 or $45 for six bottles or a case. So it kind of, it doesn't scale up as the thing. So two bottles is kind of your least cost effective, I guess I would, I would say. If people are interested in getting wine shipped to them, you know, put that in kind of the contact notes or something currently. Uh, I guess would be the recommendation, but, and you guys are open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, right? Yeah. So that's another thing right now, since it is just me. And so it's basically what I can, at least in my head, realistically handle while still having pleasantry. You know, I'm not handling the with intra shift kind of operations right now, but you know, I'm down there every day getting things kind of, you know, checking in with the managers, checking in with our chef, getting things ready. And then I'll head up to the shop. Um, so yeah, Wednesday, two to six, basically just retail hours, uh, Thursday until eight, Friday, Saturday till nine. Once Stephanie moves down, I'll expand days. We'll, we'll definitely be open on Tuesday and we'll expand hours as well. Yeah. It seems like a cool spot. I mean, there's nothing else really like it. You know, there's, there's wine shops, but there's nobody that's doing exclusively natural wine like you are. So that's awesome to see. And, you know, it sounds like the business has been going well and a lot of future plans in the works too as well and you know looking forward to coming in and, and checking it out once we get back down to cincinnati stopping in and trying some wine and seeing everything that's going on there yeah it sounds great to me um yeah i appreciate you having me on i think you do a great job being a kind of a voice for the industry so i appreciate that we try and you know we try and support everybody as much as we can so we try and reshare everybody's events that they got going on on instagram and stuff as as much as we can so um but yeah i mean Pleasantry is one of our favorite spots. You know, the food's always delicious there with you and Tyler and everybody got going on there too. So it'll be cool to check out the wine shop and the Walnut Hills area. I think Jordan, Anthony Brown, that's where his restaurant's going to go, the Aperture, when they open. He's about a quarter mile east of me. That'll be fun. We're really looking forward to to Jordan. I know he's doing a pop-up stuff at uh, Barceso, I think, on Sundays right now, just kind of working out menu details and stuff. But it'll be cool to see that open. I think that's pretty anticipated. So, but yeah. Anytime you need anything from us, let us know. Um, otherwise, we will be seeing you soon over at Iris Reed. Sounds great. I appreciate it, Ray. A big thanks again to Dan for coming back on the podcast, taking some time uh, on one of the weekends to just chat about Iris Reed, what he's got going on there, future plans and everything. So as he mentioned on um, kind of towards the end of the episode there, you can join the wine club. They will ship you wine too as well. Obviously, the more wine that you order, the more cost effective it's going to be. It's going to be a little bit crazy if you order like one or two bottles. And that's pretty much across the board at any wine place. I've encountered this to myself with any sort of ordering that I've done recently that just the sometimes the shipping cost is just astronomical for like one or two bottles. So you really got to cost benefit, you know, usually about half a case, like six bottles, something like that. But yeah, you can join the wine club. They'll hold it for you. They'll ship it out to you. Whatever you want to do there you can reach out to Dan directly if you have any questions. And just keep an eye out for any events that they're going to do. Like he said, they're going to do some more dinners. Um, they're obviously doing the grilled cheese stuff on Thursdays. Everything's going on at Pleasantry too as well. So make sure to follow them on Instagram at SouterDB, also at irisreed underscore wine and at Pleasantry OTR. Us on Instagram at SpoonMob, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. You can find us there. Check out the website, SpoonMob.com. Make sure to follow, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, check out our YouTube channel if that's a preferred player of yours. Uh, episodes come out one week after they hit all the podcast uh, platforms, just it's a different kind of metric accountability thing. So there's no point in overlapping any of that stuff. 
but that's kind of a behind the scenes thing. But um, yeah, more cool episodes on the way. Appreciate everybody listening. If you're new, welcome. If you've been here for a while, thank you for your continued support and continuing to listen. And we will talk to you guys later.